the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that could save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Abbott. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Innovation. We have a great program planned today. We have a special guest. We have Shannon, who, I I don't know, I think she kind of got the short end of the stick in the uh, vascular lottery, but she is an amazing, contagious spirit filled with hope. And I think she has a long life ahead of her with so many amazing changes in her life. And she is here to inspire you to take care of your body and also make sure to always get a second opinion. Hello, Dr. Phillips. Before we jump in and introduce you to Shannon, you look like you have had quite the day at work. Well, so many things saved today. (laughs) You know, it's always interesting when you see yourself on camera and you think, what happened to you? But uh, I'm I'm getting over the flu. And uh, yeah, no, that wasn't fun. It's been a while since I've had a fever in, in bed all day because you're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. But yet, you know, you're going to do OK. But it just I felt lazy. But I just I was miserable. Now I'm feeling better. Had some good cases today, yesterday and today. Um, what what else can I say? I, I was just thinking about inspiration. And Kimberly, I know sometimes you have a lot of plates spinning in the air, but you do inspire a lot of people, including myself, because it's sometimes you got to work up the muster to get on. You know, I mean, you've got to be on your game when we start recording me. I'm just Troy Aikman. I can kind of get away with it, but you got to be on your game. You always are. So I truly appreciate that. Uh, And I'm looking forward to talking to Shannon. I think this sounds like a potential save my piggies because she's got a lot of vascular issues at a young age. So mm-hmm. we're going to hear her story. We're going to learn something. We're going to have some fun. Who knows where it's going to go? And I would also like to talk to you, if possible, about the PAD lived African-American experience, what you thought that conference was like and, and, and you know, some take home points. Yeah, no. Um, and you saw I had the the background actually up on my Zoom. We're always on Zoom when we record our radio shows and and such. And we do stream online. Uh, and we did have an amazing event on this past Saturday, which was Red, National Red Sock Day for PAD Awareness, PAD, the poor circulation in mainly the leg arteries. It affects one in three diabetics over age 50, one in 10 
adults over age 50, one in five adults over age 60. So it is definitely prevalent and it's considered um, to be deadlier than all cancers combined except for lung cancer. But it seems to be even more prevalent in the African-American community or communities of color. And they have amputation rates at up to four times that of their white counterparts. So many reasons why, including genetics, access to care, um, but a lot of disparities uh, when it comes to care for the African-American community. And so that conference that we had on Saturday, it was supposed to be three hours at first, then it went to four hours. And I think we topped out at almost six hours on Saturday because we had so many amazing uh, patients of color sharing their experiences, incredible speakers. We had Dr. Zola and Dan do an interventional cardiologist from Florida. We had Dr. Richard Brown, who is an executive with Janssen's Save Legs, Change Lives program. They have an empowered van that goes out across the country and provides free testing for PAD um, at events for African-Americans. They're now going to expand this year to Hispanic communities as well. But I think we covered a lot. And what I thought was really special about the event in particular was there were so many takeaways. And we had Stephen McGrew, who is a design expert from Phillips Healthcare, that volunteered his time to whiteboard all of the takeaways and then help us to turn those takeaways into tangible action steps. And one of the things that came out of it that we've already done is we created um, Come to Our Table. It is a process by which instead of inviting one or two what they consider token African-American patients to sit on a design, a study design board or um, in a in a trial or um, to offer feedback on educational assets. Instead, companies, you know, Phillips, Abbott, Medtronic, Gore, all of the above come to our table. Come to the table of the DEI Patient Advisory Committee and bring your projects, bring your trials, bring your studies, bring your questions. And this committee of nearly two dozen people of color are ready to offer their feedback. And this was what I loved even even more is their sign of approval. They have a stamp of approval from the DEI Advisory Committee that shows that you're committed to diversity, equity and inclusion. So a lot, you know, came out of it, still more to come. And so I'm curious what you thought. You stuck around and and you were a great fly on the wall, just really listening. I I just was listening because, you know, I feel like, well, through this um, avenue, I get a lot of opportunity to chat and and speak. You know, you're holding a microphone. I usually have one. So he he or she who holds the microphone gets to speak, right? But I thought it was a nice opportunity to, to just listen. And I'll have to say, since the conference, I, I've treated two African-Americans with PAD. And not that it's any different, but, I, you know, I don't know. I, I have to say, I was kind of thinking to myself, gosh, you know, is their route to access to me different than somebody else. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, But if nothing else, this disease, any disease really doesn't target. I mean, for the most part, right. They don't target ethnicity. They don't target, you know, what you look like. They don't care. I don't care who you are. You could be green, right. Let's just get you, let's get you help. So I think it's important to, to, this is a great first step uh, to include everybody because it's not just African-Americans that get marginalized. It's, 
it's white folks that have lower of lower socioeconomic means. They get marginalized. I mean, I think we're more alike than we are different. And let's just, you know, come to a common ground and, and help each other. But yeah, I, I think that, I the- you can get um, industry to, to the table. Um, I, I agree. And our DEI committee chairman, Charles Winters, was a force to be reckoned with. He did a great job, event. by the way. I thought he did a great job. He really job. did. I, I was blown away. And um, we had Douglas, who's also, he's on here right now. I'm just curious his perspective, because he and I, he was an integral um, producer in the event as well. And he and I and uh, Charles were behind the scenes saying, hey, wait a minute, there's a hacker on there. Oh, hey, wait a minute. We need to unmute this person. The hacker this person I, or- I thought I, I thought that was mine. I'm like, what the heck? I've never even heard I of that know. before. Yeah, it happens. It I, happens. That's I, live, that's live uh, radio and, and podcasting. That's technology for you. But I think everyone handled the situation with aplomb. And I think that we move forward. And I think, um, you know, so much respect to yeah. um, our speakers, including renowned research analyst for PAD, Mary Yost, and also Richard Brand, just, you know, moving forward. But one thing I do want to mention um because I think it's important based on what you said. And as much as we want to say that we're all alike and, 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 you know, I, you're such a good human. And I know that you truly in your heart of hearts treat everyone the same. You have so much compassion and, and empathy and, and love for every single one of your patients. But there is in, in, in some situations and with actually quite a few doctors, there might be an unconscious bias. And we hear it all the time that, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, objectivity, like in, uh, is that the right word? When, you know, when you're, you're caring for a patient and, you know, a, a doctor can say, well, the tests show that, well, maybe we could open up a little bit, but why delay the inevitable? This person is going to be, you know, getting treated. It's going to be a revolving door treatments. They're not going to want to come back every six months. This is going to be so much better for them if they amputate. So they, instead of giving the patient the benefit of the doubt and letting them make the decision based on the options, they make the decision for them and they only offer amputation and they don't even try. Eric Sazemski um, with Beth Israel, and I think he's also... Um, formerly of Harvard as well, um, he came out with some numbers with his research team that said more than 60% of all amputations being performed are being performed without a physician following society guidelines to at least try to restore blood blood flow prior to any amputation. Now, that to me says, well, you know what? They're not offering the patients the option. They're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. They're making the determination for the patient that that's what's best for them. And I see that happen- happening a lot, specifically in communities of color, especially in those vulnerable commun- communities where I had shared a story during that event where I personally observed a doctor who told um, a 50-year-old African-American man, well, your only option is amputation. And I couldn't understand why. And I asked the doctor afterwards, I said, I don't get it. You've done more complex cases than this. And he said, come on, Kim, he's just a poor black man from the projects. He's not going to take care of himself. He smokes, he drinks, he he won't walk. Why delay the inevitable? And that, 
to me speaks volumes. This is still happening in 2024. And this is what we have to change. And we have to recognize it first that it is still happening in order to start the process to create the change we want to see. That is a a big time head scratcher because I'm not even sure if I thought that way, I wouldn't say that to anybody. I mean, the fact that you told you that is troubling in and of itself. Um, But let's continue. Can we continue this after we come up on the break here? Because I've got a couple questions for you. We'll be right back. Stay with me. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hit a break uh, while Kim was, among other things, kind of sharing some really sobering thoughts um, regarding disparity in care with respect to African-Americans and you would, I guess the fact that that physician said that is amazing to me. And do you, but do you think if that person was, you know, Mr. John, something or other that, uh, you know, worked on wall street, uh, do you think they would have opened up their arteries and as a white person, or what do you think? I had only experienced amazing success stories with him throughout the day. He had three white people that he had treated earlier that had even more complex disease that I had recognized in looking at the, um, you know, at the, at the angiogram, the pictures Mm -hmm. um, of the vessels. And I, I was just shocked that when it came to this particular gentleman, I could only assume that there was a little bit of a race card in there that, really was concerning. And I actually said to him, that was one of the catalysts for me to say, you know what, you give this man my card and I am not going to let this happen to him or anyone else from here on out. Any person that you have that you can't take care of and that you want to send to amputation, I said, don't. Instead, send them to me. So I'm going to say something that's I don't know how you're going to interpret this, but I want you to close. This is these are my I don't even know if they're words of inspiration, but this this was an, a cathartic event that happened to me probably about a year and a half ago. And, you know, so when we do a procedure, you're putting a tube into somebody's artery. So you have like access to their blood. OK, 
and I don't know if this is going to come out weird, and if it does, we can edit it. But um, to me, the fact that I that patient allows me to touch the most precious liquid in their body. I mean, we have a closed circulatory system. If you have no more blood, you are dead, right? Gone. Mm-hmm. The fact that the patient, whoever they are, allows me to access their artery, which has the blood, their lifeline, and I'm touching it. I feel like there. It. I felt like it was weird. I was doing a heart catheterization, and I remember thinking that this patient, you know, she was telling me these stories, and this was kind of as I'm making this change and trying to be more empathetic and say, okay, it's not just somebody on an assembly line like we talked about. But so as, as I'm doing this, I, I, her blood is on my hands, my gloves. And I thought, this is really amazing. You don't give up your blood to anybody except you're donating it, right? right? But I mean, like it was just this connection that I felt. And since then, it's part of the change that I have noticed in myself that I just, it's, it's a very, a wonderful gift that we have this opportunity to try to help people. The fact that I am in their arteries trying to help them, restoring blood flow, touching the, the blood that is 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 the the nectar uh, and and the the that keeps them alive. It, it's amazing to me. And because of that, I think it allows me or it helps me dissolve some of the other biases that I may have had. Um, yes, that was. I, I just it was so it was a very cathartic moment. And I thought I would share that because you had got me thinking when that doctor told you that. And I just it was a it's a head scratcher for me. And it still is. No, I, I think that that's beautifully said. And I think that you, I think a doctor becomes a doctor or a clinician becomes one, such because you want to help people. And I think for some somewhere along the line, maybe, you know, the stress of the job, um, it, it can be overwhelming um, patients suddenly become numbers. They become statistics on a page. You end up in, in, you know, getting involved in research. And so it just becomes not about humanity. It, it becomes about literally just a pawn in, in, in some game of life. And I don't and- care. Yeah, exactly. And I don't care how like dogmatic you are about, I, I'm a physician, I'm going to heal people. You can get to a point where this is just a, it can be just a job. Um, and, and if you would have told me that in medical school, I would have said you were crazy. I mean, all I want to do is go to medical school and you get in and then you want to wear that short white coat and, and do that. And then you, I can see it. Like after a while, you become institutionalized to this is what I'm doing. This is my routine. And you don't think about, man, there's a life at the end of the other side of this. There's somebody, yeah. you know, that that. So, again, I, I think if nothing else what we hope to do here is to break down some of these barriers and or potentially change maybe some physicians that are listening to have them rethink their thought processes uh, as they take care of patients or we may just be talking to the ethos and that's fine too (laughs) yeah i mean i think that people are inherently good i i really do and when i've um when you, you stop for a moment and you get someone to stop for a moment and just get out of their way you know they need to get out of their own way they need to forget everything else they need to just say why am i doing this what is the why and when they get back to the why i think that's where humanity comes back into medicine yeah i mean nietzsche said you know he who has a why can um trudge through any how and so it's like if you have a why you can get that you can figure out the how 
So. I agree. And on that note, why don't we take a break and we'll come back. We have a very special Save My Piggies episode that is just ahead. You don't want to miss Shannon's story. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your Life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We have a special Save My Piggies today. Save My Piggies, your life, your limb, your story, with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. We are talking with Shannon. Shannon, who, before we went on the air, stated that she had won the vascular lottery. And I had asked her, is that a good win or a bad win? And I guess to what we were discussing prior to this, depends on how you look at it. So, Shannon, welcome to our show. Um, Thank why you. Don't, why don't you share with us your medical history in the sense that at a young age you were diagnosed with coronary artery disease and had some work done and then some peripheral arterial disease and somehow found your way to Kim um, to help guide you through this kind of the slippery slopes that that are that is medicine in the in 2024. Yeah. And the biggest surprise, I mean, when we met, you know, she was working, she was, you know, you're only 48 at the time, I think. Are you 49 now? Yeah, I'll be 49 on Monday. Yeah. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, yeah, start us off. Where, when did you start having issues? What was going on in your life at the time? What was, paint a picture for a day in the life of Shannon before this entire world seemed to close in on you? Well, I was crazy busy raising um, two kids who are now adults, Um, very, very busy running all over. Um, And then in 2018, my world kind of started to fall apart a little bit with the diagnosis of um, needing um, coronary artery bypass times four. Then I went on to having leg pain at cardiac rehab. Um, short, that's a long story short. I got into, uh, vascular and he said that I needed bypass on both my legs. So he had bypassed my left leg 
then um, that failed. I started having extremely difficult pain. I couldn't sleep at night. Shannon, can I ask can I ask you a question? Because I, I think this Absolutely. is really important. this is really important for the listeners. So, <clears throat> what we talk about is: Did you have any risk factors for developing coronary artery disease and peripheral arterial disease? Number one, and number two, tell share with us your knowledge about coronary artery disease based on what you read, what you heard, and then contrast that to your knowledge of peripheral arterial disease. If you'd ever even heard of it, and if you had, what did that mean to you? Because I find like all my patients know what coronary artery disease is, and very few, which is why Kim does what she does and we do this, know what peripheral arterial disease is. So first, your risk factors, and then second, differentiate what you know about CAD and PAD, or knew about, Um, please. Well, of course, I did know about CAD. Um, early ha- family history, I had a brother that had passed away, and my father had his uh, bypass at age 43. Wow. Um, so I did know the risk factors as far as genetics, um, healthy diet, keeping all your labs under control, not smoking. Unfortunately, I did do all that, knowing the risk factors and knowing that genetics were not in my um, in my favor. Um, so, so I did know a lot about coronary artery, artery disease. Actually, I am a nurse myself, so I should have known better. Um, I did not really know. I knew about peripheral artery disease, but I just, I just feel like it's you're not as aware as you are about it. Even now, talking about it, um, people just don't know. They're like, "Well, what does Shannon have? Well, what's wrong with her legs? Well, that just doesn't make sense." It's just not out there, the awareness. Well, it's interesting to me, and I've I've heard this quite a few times, that someone ends up with a coronary event. They either have a few stents placed or they end up with a bypass as you did. And it's during the cardiac rehab that they actually suddenly end up realizing that there's something going on with their legs. And I'm curious... Um, you know, from from John's perspective, if he sees this a lot in, in, in your experience and, and and possibly why this is happening, because I would imagine um, maybe that it's the, you know, fatigue and and things like that. So you're not really walking as much anyway, that maybe you're not noticing the legs. Um, yeah, 100 percent. You're focused on the- a lot of times it's in my, uh, uh, you know, experience. A lot of times the patients who have significant coronary artery disease, the the symptoms that they get, the shortness of breath, the chest discomfort, that takes precedence over anything else. And then there's that. And then because of those symptoms, they're often not exerting themselves much. So once they have stents or bypass, they're starting to feel better. A lot of that, those symptoms go away. And then, oh, yeah, this kind of nagging discomfort that I had when I walked that I really didn't think much of, of it now becomes present. Kudos to whoever picked up on it, though, Shannon, because I can't tell you, and again, it just speaks to how, I well, I don't want to swear, and I won't, but just how crappy we do at advocating and raising awareness, because a lot of times patients will, they'll come to see me there because, like, you know, I'm doing cardiac rehab, but I can't because my leg hurts, and people think it's my back, and blah, 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 and so, again, kudos to whoever picked up on the PAD for you. Yeah, it was my PCP. Um, excellent, excellent doctor. So, so 
you, you're recovering from bypass, which obviously is a pretty significant event in someone who's in their 40s. Now, you do have a risk factor because you have premature coronary disease in your family. Your dad had uh, intervention or surgery before age of 55, so that's premature. I imagine that, though, is kind of a shock, particularly as a nurse who's highly educated. Like, hey, I need to get my button gear and, and change my ways or else I'm going to be talking to St. Peter sooner than I want, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I always say to people, because I quit smoking um, the day I walked into the hospital for my bypass, I was with my mom and she took my lighter. And I say I quit smoking, you know, while in the hospital from bypass because those cardiac nurses will not bring you cigarettes. I didn't know any nurses gave blood cigarettes. I tried, believe me, I tried and I knew, I knew I couldn't get them, but yep. So I just quit cold Turkey then what a better time to do it. Good for you. Well, are there some nurses or some areas that actually do that? You know, I don't know. I, I think I was maybe hopeful <laughs> at the time. I was, I was hopeful, just hopeful, wishful thinking. But I, I will tell <laughs> Sometimes you though. Sometimes they come with some patches. I, I yeah. will tell you that there have been cases where the you'll do a heart cath or something or even a leg work and the patient's family member brought McDonald's in or something and, and we're like, no, this is not part of the heart healthy diet right. that we're talking about. So it happens. It definitely happens. Oh yeah. Yeah. So after you, you, you had shared with us that you had issues walking, um, went and saw a vascular specialist. Sounds like a surgeon because they did bypass both legs or one or one, just one leg? Just one leg. I haven't um, actually touched my other leg yet. Okay. Did that did that seem to help the symptoms for you? It helped for about three months, and then I started going downhill again. Um, it was during COVID, so it actually took me a little bit longer to get in with him. Um, okay. And so it was probably six months after the bypass. Um, I went in, and we learned that it had failed. Gotcha. And, I mean – We've talked about this, but the durability of our vascular procedures is not uh, what it is in the heart, whether it be stents or bypass. But uh, ideally, you'd like the bypass to last more than six months. Um, so that that's that's unfortunate. What uh, what 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 kind of conversation did you guys have at that point? Because clearly, you're not able to. You must have felt better since you had bypass, but now you want to get out and move around and probably correct. And actually with my job, you know, in a busy urgent care, I, I was the manager. Um, and then during COVID, we were so crazy busy with the patients. Um, so we decided to um, try TPA therapy on um, the graft. Uh, so I was, I was in the hospital for about five days. Uh, that did not work. So he redid my bypass. Okay, so now you've had two bypasses. Um... And what are your thoughts? Like, are you thinking, okay, this is the one that's going to work? Or were you worried that, man, if this one fails, what am I going to do? And did you start thinking, okay, I guess maybe this is just the way I have to live the rest of my life at a four, as someone in their 40s? And we have 20 seconds. So perhaps, and this is the beauty of Kim teaching me how to do this. I'm going to leave us with a cliffhanger. So stay right with us. We'll be back for the break. Welcome back to the heart of innovation. 
For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. You may have noticed prior to the break, I did a fantastic cliffhanger. And so yes, you did. <laughs> now we're going to hear I'm the impressed. rest of the You're story. learning. Yes. Two years Kim in, you're, you're Kim is, You can do this Kim on your own. Is, if Kim is happy, then I'm happy. And so, Shannon, tell us how you're feeling after the second bypass. I'm hopeful. Um, I obviously firmly believe in the science of medical. Um, very, very hopeful that it will last. Um, again, I was told that they couldn't stent that my vessels were too small. Um, then about three months I later. I don't like hearing that. I never, I, I just, if they treat women in Japan in a minimally invasive way, how is it? I, I just don't understand. Usually I have found, and it may not be the case. I, I know that there's such a thing as people having really small vessels. I get it. But in most cases, what I find Shannon and Dr. Phillips is that it's just that they are really, really narrowed with plaque and the doctor may not have the ability to go through and traverse them with a wire possibly. So I will tell you that, you know, women are oftentimes smaller frame than men. Their arteries can be a little bit smaller, but to Kim's point, this is when it's important to use um, an ultrasound to look at the size. Um, we talk about, you know, potentially removing some of the plaque. There are balloons that we can use. There's ways we can get around it. I don't like putting a lot of stent in, in small women because the the stents, in my experience, when the diameter of the stent is smaller, then they do narrow more frequently. But there are ways around it. And again, I don't know your vascular surgeon. I imagine he or she had a thought as to why they decided to do bypass. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to, to treat somebody in, in your situation. And in fact, when that failed, what was going through your mind? What was what was offered to you when the bypass failed? Because you ended up finding the way to my heart. We're now the Global PAD Association, but you found us and we were able to get you to another doctor, a set of doctors that were able to actually go in and I believe recanalize the native vessels. Yes, they were. Bypass. Yep, they were able to do that. Um, I have a stent and then I have uh, two angioplasties in my foot. Um, I was told by my previous vascular surgeon that we were at last resort. Um, he would only do a cadaver bypass, and that's when I was at risk for amputation. And then if that failed, then he would go ahead and amputate. Um, at that time, my husband and I actually were looking at, you know, doing handicaps, installing stuff around the house. But luckily, I found the way to my heart, and I got in right away. Um, can I say the doctor's names? Of course. Okay, so I got in with Dr. Mustafa, and um, he's who I seen first. He was able to go in and get a game plan, and between him and Dr. Fab, it's been absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, it's been absolutely fabulous. Um, the summer of twenty, let's see, twenty-two. They actually, I had about three procedures done while they cleared everything up. Felt absolutely fabulous. And then last February, I was starting to feel the symptoms again. So they did go in and clean it up. And I've made it a year. 
Um, ultrasound has worsened. So actually May 6th, they're going to go in and just clean up a little bit. And then I'm hoping I'll get another year out of it. They did explain to me that this would be a maintenance thing that, you know, they would have to go in every so often, but it's, it's just fabulous. It's so much easier to do. And I'm so, so happy. Did, that did both, bypa- both, both bypasses failed. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Both bypasses had failed. So this is, this is part of a cautionary tale too, because, and this is why I personally, in patients that have peripheral arterial disease, the type that you had, which it sounds like it was localized to the arteries in the thigh and above the knee, or maybe lightly below the knee, which bypass was. But this is where we, I really try to get the patient on the best medication that they can be on, exercise them as much as they can, and make them fail medical therapy before I do procedures. Because right. Last thing you want to do is take a patient who, yes, they have claudication, but they can live with it. Maybe it's not perfect, but then turn them into a turn it into a situation where we've had multiple procedures. We're starting to lose some of the other vessels that go into the, the foot. Now we're talking amputation, which is crazy. Yeah. Okay, and so for anybody out there, it, the first words out of any proceduralist or surgeon's mouth should not be, we need to do bypass. We need to do this unless if it's an emergency, but you need to have conversation about, are there other things? And Kim has talked about this as well. Are there other things that we can do that are less invasive to try to get me feeling better? Not perfect, but better because I've seen too many people that have lost limbs because they just had claudication and it never should have come to that. Yeah, were you even offered conservative therapy? Typically, insurance companies and and society guidelines um, suggest that you should have three months of you know hardcore conservative therapy, regimented walking program, um, trying some different medicines out there, um, some blood thinners, possibly solostazole with it, which is a vasodilator, um, and and maybe you can explain that better than I can. Um, Dr. Phyllis, but I think that was added to some guidelines um, to include because that can help the the blood cells squeeze through narrowed areas. Um, and that has, in a lot of patients, brought a lot of relief coupled with walking. No, I was not offered that with my previous one. With ACV, actually, they did put me through last summer, um, PAD, physical therapy walking program. They are the ones that started me on Zeralto and Plavix to keep things open. Um, so yes. you weren't even offered um, any blood thinners or anything after your no, bypass? I, nope. I um, They had me on, they offered me, which I didn't do, was, well, pain medications, which I did not want. Wow. And um, they offered nitro nitro cream for my toes, for my ischemic toes. Hmm. Wow. And this isn't the first time, Sean, that that I've heard this. I mean, we have Douglas, who's always on the show, and he's ahead of our PAD Warrior Task Force. And he had the same story from a surgeon who performed actually multiple bypasses, um, including an aortobifemoral bypass and then an axillobifemoral bypass. Not once was he offered conservative therapy. He was never told about the risk factors, how to mitigate them, wasn't told to stop smoking, wasn't told to walk, and was not offered um, any blood thinners or statins to help him um, following those bypasses. 
Yeah, it's, you know, there's certain medications that we recommend to reduce risk of really cardiovascular events and stroke. Um, patients that have peripheral arterial disease do not die from claudication or pain in their legs. They can die after complications that lead to amputation. But uh, again, y- you really should be on medication, an antiplatelet, uh, potentially some low-dose true blood thinners like uh, uh, rivaroxaban or Xeralto or Eliquis. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, it is a little troubling sometimes. And I, I don't want this to be like we're bashing vascular surgeons. I know a lot of vascular surgeons. I like a lot of vascular surgeons. We're all in this together. I think we're just saying, hey, there are options out there and, and, and patients need to be aware of what they are. <clears throat> no, we have the same situation even when it comes to anyone. There are a lot of interventionalists that still do procedures without conservative therapy b- beforehand or trying to mitigate the risk factors prior to performing procedures. So I really do think, and part of what we do is we really promote um, conservative therapy and lifestyle modifications, you know, being frontline treatment. And Shannon, that is something that is really important to you as well as a message that you want to leave people with, which is you need to take care of your body. How are you leading by example with this? Um, Well, I definitely do very well on my diet control. I have diabetes too. Um, I push myself as much as I can. I do lean on my um, family for support. They're great. Uh, My husband's great for making me get up and walk when it hurts. He definitely pushes me. Um, And I just try to be positive you know, just look at the positive of everything. I, I was talking today to my husband and I said, you know, I, I was kind of leery about getting my new procedure done. And I said, but I get to keep my legs and I like my leg. And on that note, we're going to take a break. We're going to have final lessons, final thoughts when we return. So stay with us right here on our Save My Piggies episode. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back to the show. We were mentioning um, we had Douglas. He's the head of our Pad Warrior Task Force. He went through a similar situation as Shannon having a bunch of bypasses prior to any uh, talk of conservative therapy or, or medicines to help um, you know, get him back on track. Uh, Douglas, you have a question for Shannon. Yes, uh, real quick. Uh, this has been brought up a lot. Would you prefer to go in every so often and have them redo this compared to having an amputation? It's brought up a lot. It's like, how many times do I have to go in? Well, I prefer to go in once a year and have me at Roto-Rooter and still have my legs. Absolutely. I would I would rather do this once a year than obviously lose my leg or my foot or any of my toes. Or I'd rather do this once a year than try to recover from bypass surgery in my leg because that was brutal as well. I, that was a really good question. And, and because there are, we were talking, John, this is like full circle because we were talking in the beginning of the show just about that unconscious bias. And, and sometimes doctors thinking, well, you know what? I'm only going to offer this patient amputation because, you know, I think that that's what's best for them. It's not what the patient believes, but it's interesting to hear both Douglas and um, Shannon say that they would rather um, keep their legs and have regular maintenance than, um, 
and, and have regular maintenance. I think all yeah, I mean, there. I, it, yesterday I did a heart catheterization on a woman that I put a stent in seven years ago in her heart artery, and it looked as good as the day it was put in. I have never had a stent in someone's leg that looks as good as the day it was put in seven years later. And our best data is at five years, you're probably looking at, uh, you know, 30 to 40% re-narrowing rates. But to everybody's point, and I, and I think, you know, patients should be made aware of this. Once we do your first procedure, you are going to have a second procedure. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, which is why we try to delay that first procedure as long as we can with walking and the medicines and things like that. But make no mistake, if you if your doctor or anybody tells you, you know, I can put a stent in your leg and you're never going to have to have another one done, uh, they're they're probably now again. Let me clarify that there are some areas where the stents stay open a really long time. That's usually above the pelvis. But for most people with where we're treating. You need some maintenance work. That's why you need to find a team of doctors that are willing to, you know, not only see you, but also get you on the right meds, make sure you have routine testing, and then have good communication. Any final thoughts, Shannon? Any pieces of advice for other patients out there that might be going through and experiencing what you have? Definitely get your second opinion. If they say bypass, first off, right off the bat, no, get a second opinion, reach out. Um, I, I tell everybody to join the Facebook group that, that I know that's going through this. Um, it's just a world of uh, wealth of information out there. Stay positive to keep your chin up and, and, and keep walking. Definitely. And that, that's padsupportgroup.com. That is the, the website that you can go to to find the, the Facebook group. Thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing your story. You're such an inspiration. We really appreciate you. And we hope that you've learned a lot through this episode. And I hope you have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and Abbott. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.